Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. Rational fear recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight... Claims that the Australian Federal Police Force Qantas to hand over flight details of ABC journalists are proved false. As we all know, ABC journalists can only afford to fly Tiger. And when Peter Dutton says he plans to dismantle the fourth estate, he of course is not talking about journalism, but one of his negatively geared properties on the Gold Coast. And human rights lawyer Amal Clooney says that Australia should be better than North Korea. Someone should tell Amal Clooney that we are better. We put our gulags on tropical islands. With all the news that's fit to print, this is Irrational Fear! Fantastic. Welcome to Irrational Fear. This is great. Uh, uh, this is the show that tells you what you should be scared of. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are talking about the end of democracy. Yes. Oh, that's it's ha- half of you must be from North Korea. This is really, <laughs> this is really, really good. All right, on the stage tonight, we have got some of Australia's most well-known journalists with a couple of Australia's least known comedians. <laughs> <laughs> To talk, talk about the issues of press freedom in Australia. Our first guest is one of Australia's most tenacious investigative reporters. When she's not exposing corruption, she's praying in Israel Falau's church. <laughs> she's had more death threats than Sydney has cracked apartment buildings from Channel 9's Sydney Morning Herald. It's Kate McClamont! <laughs> Oh, my God. This is like we have the Queen on stage. (laughs) Uh, Now, Kate, what's been your favourite death threat? Uh, Why would you ask that? Um, Actually, I think one of my favourite death threats is the the one I delivered myself. When (laughs) I am am completely incompetent when it comes to, um, you know, technology. 
And I don't know those, you know those weird little things with the Google mat with the red pin and your name on it? Uh-huh. I sent Kate McClymont's current location to the head of the Hells Angels. <laughs> <laughs> it's never been easier to knock off a Sydney Morning Herald investigative journalist. <laughs> so, was the implication that you were coming for them? Like, fucking... <laughs> no, well... Fucking... He, I have to say, he had stood me up for coffee previously... And when I said, why have you stood me up? He sent me a text message saying, LOL, you are too scary. <laughs> no, but I, I did say to one of the younger journalists, why is he saying lots of love? <laughs> Our next guest is going to shed some light on the CIA and Gough Whitlam. He's not only one of Australia's most hard-hitting Uber Eats ambassadors. He... <laughs> He's also the host of the Midday Show with Ray Martin. It's Ray Martin! Ray, um, Ray what's, what's, been one of, what's one of the most scary moments you've ever had in your career? Most scary, most scary. Okay. Um, when Kerry Packer bought Channel Line back, he sold it, remember, for $200 million, and he bought it back for... Can I say fuck here? Yes. <laughs> He bought, it back, he bought it back for a billion dollars, remember? So he came back. He'd been away for a while. And uh, I rang up and asked if I could go and see him. And uh, so I went upstairs. We talked about sport and other things. And um, he said, you're not here to talk about sport. What do you want? And I said, well, I don't want anything. I just wonder what my future is. Now, remember, Kerry had had his heart attack and he'd been dead for eight minutes, he told me that. Anyway, so I said, I wonder what my future is. He said, your fucking future. Your fucking... Why would I give a fuck about your fucking future? <laughs> I don't even know what my fucking future is. I said, fair enough. <laughs> Next, between hosting TV in the morning, radio in the afternoon and Ninja Warrior at night, he found time to come here to do comedy because he lives next door. Uh, he also dared to correct Alan Jones live on air as a 15-year-old work experience kid. It's Ben Fordham. Ben, what, 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 why did you fact-check Alan Jones? Oh, look, I was, I was young and naive. I was on work experience at that stage. Just the kind of person Alan loves. And I, at, <laughs> at, at 15... Because he can... At 15... <laughs> at shape 15, them into who I didn't work for quite him. understand at uh, the ripe age of 15 that right-wing radio hosts are always right. So, so when now I am one, I, can, I understand it and I really love it. But at the time, I, oh, yeah, he, he, he mispronounced something and I corrected him, not realising, yeah, he was live on air. So it wasn't the greatest start. But. Fantastic. Next, a journalist who is so skilled at interrogating politicians, the AFP call her for tips. Earlier this year, she left BuzzFeed for the Australian so people would take her more seriously. It's the hilarious Alice Workman. <laughs> So, what's the best tip you've given to the AFP for dealing uh, with Michaelia Cash? Well, obviously, to bring your own whiteboard, number one. Uh, Don't bother would be number two, really, I think. With most politicians, generally, don't bother. What's the point? It's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. what's the point when it comes to Michaelia Cash? And finally, (laughs) the only person who stands to lose their job after this show because they work at the ABC, (laughs) it's former Triple J host and latest delivery boy for Uber Eats, it's Lewis Hubbard! Lewis, uh, if you lose your job tonight, what, what, what do you think you'll do? I mean, uh, essentially it won't be much of a pay cut if I lose my job. Uh, 
So probably exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah, it's exciting that they're firing public servants. Um, no, it's good. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about your career for this joke. and Please don't do that. Yeah, I, I actually went to LinkedIn to look you up to see, you know, your work history, to see what maybe what other jokes we uh-huh. could do off the back, but I couldn't find you. you yeah, I, why would I be on LinkedIn? I'm like, not 50. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts. I've got a very robust LinkedIn profile, and um, <laughs> it's because I've been fired more times than you. Uh, <laughs> But I did look up Lewis Hobber and I found this woman, Kirby Lewis Hobber. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, Kirby and I are friends on Facebook. Well, I, knew, I, I just thought it was interesting because she likes to build relationships, help teams reach their goals and highest potential. And I thought, you could never do that. <laughs> I'm not a nice person. <laughs> this is Irrational Fear, Australia's favourite show of non-public funded satire since 2012. <laughs> All right, here we go. When it comes to crackdowns on press freedom, the, um, the government have been doing a pretty good job of embarrassing Australia on the world stage, which is usually a job reserved for the Wallabies. Last month, last month at the Defend Media Freedom Conference in London, human rights lawyer Amal Clooney highlighted the raids on the ABC on the world stage, and she said... All governments say they believe in a free press. The right is even enshrined in North Korea's constitution. What matters is enforcement of this right. What is so interesting about that is that Australia, the idea of a free press and freedom of speech is nowhere to be seen in our constitution at all. It means that basically North Korea beats us again, which I think is amazing. It's almost as if like before Federation, Australia was just like a ragtag bunch of prisons. Uh, and, and, and this has kind of carried on until, until now. At this conference, there were several heavy hitters there, including uh, UK Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt and Canada's Foreign Minister as well, as well as Australia's Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, who responded to Amal Clooney saying this in a Russian accent for some reason. You fucking monster. (laughs) If I had a LinkedIn profile, a Russian accent would not be one of my skills. (laughs) We recognise sensible balance needs to be reached between protecting our national interest and upholding the public right to know. (laughs) It's just like when you say it in Russian, it kind of seems completely reasonable. (laughs) Did he audition for Chernobyl? (laughs) I mean, I'll put... Again, I am looking for a job, so... (laughs) Is there a season two of Chernobyl? I haven't seen the end. Does it end well? <laughs> but I think after Dan's joke about Alan Jones at my expense, I'll be looking for a job on Monday as well. So we're in the same boat. Are you in Lee Not Yeah. Not yet. Get, Monday. Get, guess Monday. what? You're already thrived. <laughs> so how embarrassing is this for Australia to kind of be out there in the international scene, Amal Clooney ripping us a new one? To be lower than North Korea... It's not great. It's not great, Dan. Um, I, I, I'd say we've probably had better days as, as a nation. Yeah, I reckon we wouldn't be too thrilled about that. Do you think, uh, Kate, that, that this government will take any notice of big international conferences like this where, where you know, Australia gets publicly shamed by George Clooney's wife? <laughs> Certainly not. No, I, I don't think so. Are they quiet Australians? I don't <laughs> think so, No. <laughs> It it appears that other liberal democracies are kind of facing similar sort of challenges. I I kind of wonder, do we need a Bill of Rights in this country? Would that ever help, do you think? Oh, the audience is... is, is. Well, it says yes, but um, how do you get it? How do you start to get it? We've, you know, forever talked about what we don't have. Um, No one's even raised it. The, The trouble is with governments of both persuasions, every persuasion... 
they don't want lights shone into areas that Kate is in. In his journalism, any of so they they love it the way it is. It's not just a a liberal coalition problem. Both sides. Every you ask the the Labor government over years, where have they been in shining the light? Why would they want a bill of rights any more than the others? They love it to shut the doors. I mean, they love the idea of a federal ICAC. So. I reckon they'll be, able, they'll be up for this too. We don't need... We've got the Messiah from the Shire in charge. <laughs> North Korea's got Kim Jong-un. We've got the Messiah from the Shire. Lay off. Uh, you know, the thing that I love most about the federal ICAC is that uh, no politicians are allowed to be examined in public. <laughs> oh, oh, wow, great. so it's just like flying in America. <laughs> we don't need... We just need Kate McClymont to sit down and have a coffee with all these shonks and just grill them. That would be the real ICAC. Just we could put it live on Triple J. <laughs> send, send Scott Morrison a pin of where you are, Kate. Oh. Fucking coming for you, Morrison. Coming for you, ScoMo. <laughs> as soon as I figure out how to use this phone, I'm coming for you. In fact, I was just with Ray before. I can't even find what I've done with my phone. <laughs> you were just with Ray before? <laughs> well, there's a scoop. Excuse me, You've got your over first there. scoop of the night. You promised not to talk about that. <laughs> Darling, I won't. And she hangs out with Hell's Angels boys, so, mate. I'm in trouble. They're in serious trouble. Set high. Ray's ruining my image. Yeah. Show us your tats. <laughs> I like that you could be above the High Court. I like the Supreme Court, High Court. McClymont. <laughs> thank you, thank you. No, I'll take it. Um, all right. Now, Maurice Payne said she'd like to see a sensible solution or a sensible balance. What does a sensible balance look like, do you think? Uh, maybe a minister that does interviews. <laughs> now, Damien Cave in the New York Times, um, he actually made a dire extrapolation of kind of where we're at with our uh, laws at the moment. He said this... The most recent expansion of governmental secrecy came last year with an espionage bill that increased criminal penalties for sharing information deemed classified, even if a document happened to be as harmless as a cafeteria menu, (laughs) and broadened the definition of national security to include the country's economic interests. That was my best Media Watch kind of voice. That was very good. I need some work. And I've been on Media Watch many times, so I should be be better than that. This is crazy. Like, we could, you could possibly go to jail for, for showing a cafeteria menu. It's so great to go to prison for that. Like, what are you in for? I shift a What yeah. about you? I, I tweeted a cafeteria menu. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, par- there's a cafe in Parliament House that the public aren't allowed to go to. Aussies. It's called Aussies, yeah. 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 Uh, oh, a- there's, there's a second cafeteria called The Trough, <laughs> right. which is yeah, the that's staff That's not cafeteria. considered a cafeteria. <laughs> no, it's... No, it's bad. So Aussies is, uh, is a private cafeteria. It's for parliamentarians, staffers, media, folks who work in the building. And in that area where Aussies is, you're actually not allowed to have a camera. You're not allowed to take photos of people there. And if you do, the sergeant arms can take your camera and boot you out and you get, um, you, you get black banned from the Parliament House. So um, earlier today, because I don't have much superannuation... Um, <laughs> and really like the idea of seeing a prison. Uh, I, um, I called Aussie's Cafe and I asked them to just shoot me a text of the menu. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, this is the menu here, as you can see, particularly around the, the free-range egg and bacon roll, I've, um, I've redacted the sauces. Um, <laughs> so... 
Um, I'm really glad you haven't revealed the soup of the day, Dan. That could have been catastrophic. Well, uh, I, I did, I did, I did inquire, um, and oh. um, it's chicken. Um, so, <laughs> she, she, I love the, I love the who am I texting bit. <laughs> There you go. So, uh, you don't need a LinkedIn if you're going to jail. <laughs> but Aussies, I will have you know, is the loved cafeteria of Parliament House to the point where you can call, like, Polly's call up to get special made things come through. And then, when Parliament House was trying to dud them out of increasing their lease, they dropped a story to the AFR. Oh. And it was... It was not on the front pages, but man, it got shared within the bubble. Wow. And they got their rent reduced because people argued that their coffee would go up in price. <laughs> Talk about threatening the country's economic interests. <laughs> my, my very last job before I um, got a job on television was working at the Victorian Parliament House Bar and Restaurant. Oh, wow. my, yeah, and I had to sign like this whole NDA. I'm not allowed to talk about it. Right. There's a fucking going to prison again. There you go. Oh, God. You'll be before the High Court before we know it. And then the Kate McClay Court. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we often hear about the chilling effect that these kind of laws have on journalism. Journalists being more reluctant to kind of break stories. Not so much these kinds of stories, of course. Um, Have you noticed that at all in your newsrooms? No way. I, I reckon it does the opposite. I think the moment someone suggests you can't do something particularly people working in newsrooms, they say, let's do it. I think it does exactly the opposite than what's intended. What about when they um, also pay your wage? <laughs> well, I'm not employed by the government, unlike uh, you. Yeah, I know, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we, well, I don't have that problem. So I think it does the exact opposite. But it does have a chilling effect because I know Annika is a friend of mine. Uh, she hasn't slept at her apartment since. Wow. Uh, she... Of course, she's got no undies left after they took her. <laughs> well, they did. They literally went through her underwear drawer and, you know, found some USBs that she'd lost that were hidden in cookbooks. So, you know, it worked out well. But um, obviously it's had a really, like... It's had a really difficult... Like, she's, she's suffered through it. It has been really hard for her. Not to diminish her as a journalist. She's a fantastic journalist. But, I mean, can you imagine having to go through that and having to stay there still so yeah. I think that uh, I, and I'm especially given that obviously they raided her place they raided the, the ABC and then we know that they were going to raid news my work the next day and they after the scrutiny they decided not to so I think that um, I wouldn't say that it has stopped people writing stories but it makes people think twice absolutely I think, I, especially the ABC. Yeah. The ABC is uh, is affected by this. Just even even with someone like Ida there in charge, which I think is a good thing, um, they're likely to say, "Don't go too far. Don't do this. You're going to upset the government. Do you really need to do this?" I know in my days there quickly the. Um, story I was telling Dan about. Um, I did a story when I was based in New York on the, the Indonesians napalming the, the uh, East Timorese. And uh, I got it from a CIA source and a Defence Department source and I ran the story on AM. And I got a call that morning, three o'clock in the morning in New York from Talbot Duckman, the boss of the ABC. Uh, hello, this is Sydney, Australia calling New York, 212, blah, blah, blah. Yep, Talbot Duckman, yep. He said, uh, your story last night about the napalm has got us in trouble. I said, why don't you just tell me it was a good story? He said, it was a good story, but it's, I've got to go down and talk to the Indonesian ambassador and they're going to close the office in Indonesia. Anyway, can you get someone else to back it? 
So I actually went down to Washington and got Creighton Byrne at The Age to run the story in The Age. Now, instead of the ABC saying, we've got a great exclusive, let's run with this, the fear was they're on their own. And I think that's the fear now. The great fear is that if the ABC is on its own, it'll need some support. Because well, especially now with, with Nine's merger with Fairfax. It's like from, I mean... Kate, you'd know more than, than I would, but obviously in the last week, you know, the story about uh, people saying that they're assaulted by Liberal Party staffers and the Crown story, they've gone to nine and it looks like the relationship between ABC and Fairfax might be over. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, I think that um, it's one of those things that I think when you share things with other journalists, I think it is only good for democracy and I think that we will work with um, with other organisations, perhaps not yours, News Corp. <laughs> that, that, that's drawing a, a, a bridge too far. <laughs> we can solve oh, this tonight, on. Kate. That's right. You can be ecumenical. Come on. But no, but I, I, one thing I'd like to say, though, is that I think it was just the most monumental misstep for the AFP to raid News Corp on one day and the a and the abc on the next because it's just forced two of the most powerful news organizations in the country into a combined you know rightful um, alliance, alliance yeah. about attack on freedom of the press so i don't know who was advising them and i thought you were going to be next ben i thought they were coming he for was. you I ended up with raid anxiety where I was like, well, hang on, how come they're getting raided and I'm not getting raided? You know, because... <laughs> well, yeah, we've got some like... exciting news tonight. Please welcome <laughs> Peter Holy Dutton. No, shit. No, 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 Peter Dutton's not here. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> well, I have noticed um, some chilling effect. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, Channel 10 seemed to have really, uh, really, uh, really bitten the bullet. So, I don't know. Check this out. Sandra Sally. <laughs> Here are the headlines approved by the Department of Communications on 10. The Royal Commission into How Good Is Australia has found that Australia is very good and gooder than many estimates predicted. The Department of Fair Go agrees with the findings saying that Aussies are getting fairer goes and more goes than ever before. And Australia's most prestigious honour, the Order of Australia, is having a makeover with a brand new category added to the list. So move over, OAMs and AMs, there's a new medal on the podium, it's the QA, which will be awarded to the most quiet Australian. And that's someone who excels at showing complete disinterest in the affairs of government and goes about their day unquestioning the world around them. Nominations are now open, so good luck to everyone. And in sport, Australia's cricket team are the best and they will win the Ashes if any of the current 11 want to see their loved ones again. Turning to the weather, despite what it looks like out of the window, it is fine and definitely average temperatures for this time of year. Certainly not way hotter than usual. That is, of course, all the approved news for now in the greatest country in the world. And remember, it's on Australia to not have private health insurance. I can't believe they got to Sully. 
<laughs> of all people. I wow. know. <laughs> she should be fired. <laughs> um, well, I want to talk about whistleblowers for a little bit here um, because there are no protections in Australia for whistleblowers who, who blow the whistle on the government. Um, this is something, a story that's been going around the last uh, six months. Uh, extraordinary headlines earlier this year when the Australian Tax Office uh, whistleblower, Richard Boyle, was staring down the barrel of 161 years in prison, um, which is about how long it takes me to do, actually do my tax return. Um, uh, he was charged with 66 offences, mostly pertaining to gathering evidence of unfair and bullying, unfair practices and bullying on behalf of the ATO. Now, rather than take a cash settlement uh, and to pay for his silence, he went to the media to make sure that these uh, bullying practices by the ATO didn't go on. And now his life is fucked, pretty much. Um, the result is anyone working for a government organisation is probably very unlikely to speak up about government mismanagement anytime soon. Um, uh, unlike other countries, which actually have protections for government whistleblowers, there are none in Australia. Kate, you, you, you must, you've relied on a lot of whistleblowers over the years. Have you ever had anyone that's put their life in danger? Yes, and they do it all the time. It's, it's something that's quite, I mean, it's incredibly worrying, as you were saying about the tax office person. At the same time, I sometimes have worried about whistleblowers coming to me that my life's in danger. I had one whistleblower who said, um, I need to meet you at a railway station. I've got all the documents from Eddie Obed's office for you. And all I could think of, I have to say, was that, that scene in um, House of Cards <laughs> where, where the journalist gets... Pushed in front of the train, and I said, "Do you think we could meet at the cafe upstairs?" <laughs> well, you, you know, in Sydney, the train's not going to arrive anyway, so you, you, don't, you don't have to worry about the train. Can I meet you at the new light rail station? <laughs> It'll be there in 2021. <laughs> uh, Lewis, do you ever have tr whistleblowers at Triple J? Ah, oh, Dan. Yes, um, I'm glad you asked. Pretty serious at the Drive Program, Triple J. We have a uh, anonymous tip-off line: oh four three nine seven five seven triple five. Yeah, and, flume. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, sometimes we'll say things very like, "Hey, where's the weirdest place you've had sex?" And people will anonymously tell us. And <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty big. Well, yeah. there was a whistleblower who tipped you guys off about the the origins of January twenty six, which is why you got rid of the hottest one hundred, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, which another thing the government was thrilled about. Actually, the ABC they loved us moving. The countdown, love that. <laughs> I, I actually, bu I bumped into Malcolm Turnbull in um, Central Park. No big deal, guys. Uh, I can't pick up that name there, Malcolm Turnbull, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Central Park, was, and he. It was just after he left, but it was after the whole Triple J like Hottest 100 scandal had broken, and it turned out that he had been, you know, heavy-handedly trying to stop us from moving the countdown. And I went up to him in the park. I'm like. G'day, Malcolm. And he just thought that I was some random Australian. He turned to say hello, and I'm like, Hi, Lewis Hobber, Triple J. And he went, oh. <laughs> I'm in fucking New York, you yeah. motherfucker. Like, yeah. he, he was so angry. I was going to say, wow. 10 years ago, Lewis makes fun of Triple J. I worked at the very serious program, Hack. And we used to get uh, HSC tip-offs. We had people dropping us HSC papers. I remember, I mean, I got very seriously lectured about... The drugs. And the other things that happened at Triple J many years ago when we went to the, what was it, the 30th reunion or something? As in, you, you don't, you're not talking about the taking of the drugs. No, 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 no. And they, they one time someone broke out of prison and went on air at Triple J. 
It's got a strong history mm. of good shit. I, yeah, I, I was being facetious. I'm sorry, Triple J. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. The Hells Angels have never called me. So, <laughs> All right, from, from whistleblowers to tweets, I don't know if you saw this story yesterday. The, uh, the High Court uh, came down against um, a public servant who tweeted criticism anonymously about her department. Her department was the Department of Immigration. Um, so, you know, she's probably right. Um, <laughs> And strangely enough, Lyle Shelton and Mark Latham haven't raised $2 million, uh, which is very unusual unusual for them. Usually when someone loses their job over free speech on social media, they're right there, but they're very quiet at the moment. Um, Didn't work for Israel Folau, did it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Australian public servant social media policy changed in 2013, preventing mean tweets about the government from government employees. And more recently, in 2017, they updated the policy. So if you work for the government and you so much as like something that's a little bit critical of the government or you share a post, um, you could also be sacked. And we thought about this deeply back in 2013 when these rules first came in, and we decided wow, it's kind of like some speech is more protected than others in this country, um, and we kind of um, made this. As a public servant, you should know that the government have made changes to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet's social media policy. Any post that's critical of the department, the minister, or the Prime Minister is a no-no, even if it's from a personal or an anonymous account. But we want you to know that we would never encroach on your right to be a bigot. So, when you're upset at work and you want to tell the world, please, make it racist. Unacceptable criticism of the public service sector will be punished. Please, make it racist. That's more like it. (laughs) Haven't you forgotten something? Ah, now you're getting the hang of it. Whoa, don't go too crazy. If you see someone using their freedom of speech to complain, use your freedom of speech to dob them in. It's only right, because you have the right to free speech, but only if you're a bigot. I just said we had bad coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, Alice Workman. Yeah, yeah. My story takes place in 2017. Uh, the Prime Minister was Malcolm Turnbull. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, the opposition leader was Bill Shorten. And the political community was really still reeling from the death of John Clark. We still are. It was a sunny October afternoon when a camera crew arrived at the headquarters of the Australian Workers' Union. Hello, we're here for the raids. <laughs> what? The, the raids. The police. The police are about to raid you. <laughs> are we in the wrong office? Unfortunately, they weren't. Within minutes, reporters were crossing live into the afternoon news saying that police would do any minute to raid the union offices in Melbourne and Sydney as part of an investigation by the Turnbull Government Union Watchdog, the Registered Organisations Commission into Political Donations. Cut to the next day. Employment Minister Michaelia Cash denied multiple times that her office was behind the raid leaks. That night, after many protests from my bosses, I wrote a story saying that journalists had told me that they were. Half an hour later, her senior media advisor resigned. Senate estimates blew up. I also wrote a follow-up story a few months later that a staffer in former Justice Minister Michael Keenan's office also tipped off the media. 
But unbeknownst to all of us at the time, that it's safe to say the police weren't happy when they arrived to see the media were there. And that night, the AFP launched an investigation into how the media had been tipped off of the warrants that had been executed. The AFP commissioner decried the leaks at the time as not only putting officers' lives in danger, but, surprise, surprise, could have also tipped off some people to shred some documents. But despite that AFP investigation, a senior minister admitting her office leaked, a staff acquitting, a Senate inquiry and a federal court case with the very serious accusation that the independent federal police had been politicised by a government minister's office as part of its war on unions, it'd be over a year and a half before any questions were slightly answered. So every few months, Michaela Cash and I would go through the same dance. She wasn't allowed to answer questions because of the police investigation. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, she also was refusing to answer questions to police, and instead she sent them a transcript of her not answering our questions. <laughs> Cash maintained her silence despite hours of questions from Labor, which is what led to the infamous comments about the women in Bill Shorten's office and the whiteboard incident, which I have to say, just for the record, was actually, apparently... The Parliament House security guards, or so she says. Then one day I received a phone call out of the blue. Uh, he was a federal police officer. He told me he was on the team investigating the raids. He asked me point blank if I was willing to be interviewed and tell them who my sources were, who the journalists told me they'd been tipped off by and who in Cash and Keenan's office tipped them off. First instinct, I asked him to email me the questions in writing. And then, of course, I called my lawyer. Obviously, we agreed we wouldn't be revealing any sources, but we decided to use it as a fishing exercise to see if they could tell us anything about the investigations because all of our other questions were obviously unanswered. Unfortunately, when I made it very clear that I wasn't going to be telling them anything, they shut up shop. So instead, I decided to FOI some documents. And I found out that the cash investigation had the same priority as an investigation referred to the AFP by Health Minister Greg Hunt about his official Twitter account liking a porn tweet. <laughs> uh, that investigation concluded that he was not hacked. Um, surprise, surprise. Eventually, the police referred their investigation to the Director of Public Prosecutions, who declined to prosecute. So in February this year, the union's federal court case kicked off in Melbourne, and everything that I had reported was confirmed to be true. The court heard that a media advisor working for the Registered Organisations Commission, who had been offered a job in Michaela Cash's office, told her chief of staff about the raids, who told the senior media advisor, who told Keenan's office, and they told journalists. But... The former staffers only gave evidence after they were promised a certificate of immunity so they couldn't be prosecuted because disclosure of government information carries a maximum two-year jail sentence. But what of Michaelia Cash? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Finally, the day came where she was due to be questioned in federal court under oath. But the union's top barrister called in sick. And so a junior barrister was called to give her questions. Of course, she was never going to crack Michaelia, who is a skilled lawyer and parliamentary performer. So instead of answers, taxpayers got a bill of nearly $300,000 for her legal fees. And unfortunately, after many years of my personal involvement, that is the end of this story. But it is an interesting note 
especially given the recent raids on journalists' homes and, as I mentioned before, the decision to not raid news after the public scrutiny. And it's worth considering what is the role that politicians play in the investigations that our independent law enforcement officers pursue and choose to prosecute? Because, in the end, we never did get to the bottom of who liked that porn tweet on Greg Hunt's Twitter account. (laughs) Alice Workman! Fantastic. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, Alice, and uh, I followed. I you followed shouldn't. This story, you shouldn't be. I follow this story very closely, and I love like every few weeks you doing a presser and you asking the same question. It it it, it made my day. Every- <laughs> well, I mean, it was a very bizarre time because not only did I get taken off her media list and then get put back on and <laughs> taken off a few times, I would have people in the gallery telling me when she was. Um, going to give press conferences and she would only give a few minutes notice and they'd be on the other side of the building so I'd rush over there and I'd say minister minister have you been interviewed by the AFP yet I have (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah I mean fair fair to say she doesn't uh, she's not a fan of mine Um, uh, and recently I uh, we got into a quite an argument because she um is back to being employment minister after being demoted and, you know, they were surprisingly re-elected for some, maybe not Ben, but for some. Um, she started on and, LinkedIn uh, she's, and she's Don't get the shit just because Michaeli's put you in the friend zone, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, no, but she's here. back to being employment minister, which is where she started this whole saga. And um, recently I noted that she uh, had been spending a lot of time at an employment agency in Perth, which her own department was investigating for corruption and fraud. And so I pointed this out to her office and I said, oh, it's just really strange that you've deleted these tweets of you in this person's office, thinking that they would just be rational and they would say it was an accident, we didn't know, we were uninformed that they were being investigated. Obviously now, you know, maybe journalists were not going to get involved, right? But no, they are so belligerent and frustrating that they just sc- they just stop any conversation. And so I wrote about it and... Um, I'm off the list again. Surprise, surprise. I think ultimately it was the best case scenario, right? I was wondering, because you were forced to say sorry, weren't you? Were you, were you, like, you did you have to apologise to Michaelia Cash? Is that a thing that happened? It was to someone else. No, that's no. She is currently asking for Labor senators to apologise to her for their continual questioning. But uh, I believe to this date no one has. I'm getting the vibe you don't like her. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I think that in person she's quite funny and what hilarious. Her hair? It's amazing. <laughs> and she loves karaoke. She makes a lot of blue jokes. She's quite funny in real life. This is a rational fear. Our jokes are going down faster than the Australian stock market. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Fordham! Yay! <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, apart from raising awareness about press freedom tonight, we're going to raise a little bit of money right now, so bear with me. But I brought my diary with me because that week of madness that occurred a couple of months ago, I just thought I'd just... For those who aren't familiar with what happened, and we've touched on a little bit tonight, I'll just recap for you really quickly. Monday, June 3, uh, I get a tip-off from a very reliable source that there are six boats headed to Australia from Sri Lanka carrying asylum seekers. And considering that we have stopped the boats, I thought this was newsworthy. So I reported this news on my radio show, 
And within an hour, my producer, Zach McLean, received a phone call from Home Affairs and I could tell that something was going down outside the studio. And then he came in during the next ad break and said, look, that thing that you just said on air is determined to be undisclosed information, (laughs) unauthorised disclosure. You weren't supposed to know it, you weren't supposed to report it, and Home Affairs need to talk to you. So that, that night I received a phone call from a senior officer from Home Affairs and he basically said to me, we need to know who told you that information. Only a certain number of people knew that information. You weren't supposed to know it. We're not asking you to tell us your source. <laughs> but tell us your source. We're not asking you to tell us your source, but we have ways of finding out your source. <laughs> That was Monday, June 3. Fast forward, Tuesday, June 4, I wake up, Annika Smethurst is being raided. The AFP knock on her door in Canberra. They go through her mobile phone, her laptop, the iPad, text messages, the laundry basket, the underwear drawer. I called the guy who called me from Home Affairs and said, in the light of what you're doing to Annika Smethurst, I've got a duty to report to my listeners what you're doing to me. So I went on air that afternoon and revealed what had happened to me the night before. The next day, Wednesday, June 5, I wake up, the ABC's being raided. Once again, News Corp first and the ABC following up. But anyway, (laughs) they want to know about the Afghan files, Dan Oakes and Sam Clark. They spend nine hours there, six officers. They go through thousands of files. By Thursday, I'm starting to think, okay, Monday, I'm being warned. Tuesday, Annika's being raided. Wednesday, the ABC's being raided. It's now Thursday. I'm starting to sweat a little bit because they could go through your office or they could go through your home. I'm not so worried about the office, but there's shit that I have at home that I don't want people to see. (laughs) And at that point, I kind of thought, I don't have any control over this situation. The only thing I can do now is get raid ready. So what I did, I, first of all, I just did a general tidy up, you know what I mean, just around the house. No, no, seriously, because you know what I mean. No, just, just a little, just not a, just a, just a quick 10-minute whip around the house because my wife, if people are turning up unannounced at our place, she fucking hates it. So it's like... And we don't want people knowing how messy it is, so I just do a general tidy up around the house, not like, you know, a deep clean, but just a general put stuff away, sort things out. Then you start thinking, what's the stuff that I have in my house that I don't want people to see? We all have things. You do. I can tell you do. Not everyone, but there's a lot of people here who know what I'm talking about. We all have things in our house that we don't want the world to see. So I then bag stuff up. And I decide... I'm going to get a few things out of the house in the event that I'm next. Because let's face it, they've told me we do have ways of finding out your source. So tonight I'm going to show you the stuff that I removed from my home. <laughs> First of all. All right, here we go. This was in my bathroom. <laughs> I do not have dandruff. <laughs> it's preventative. <laughs> Head and shoulders. Head and shoulders, the three-action formula. I don't have dandruff. Second of all, everyone remembers Kevin 07, the very successful campaign that propelled (laughs) Kevin Rudd to the Prime Minister's office. 
This was not as successful. <laughs> My campaign that I set up, Pine 19. <laughs> Am I proud of the fact that a few years ago I thought that maybe Christopher Pine could become the Prime Minister of Australia? No. Do I sleep in this shirt? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the stains are, I've got no idea. And lastly, just before getting married, I got a phone call on my radio show from this guy who said, look, if you give me a photograph of you and Jodie, my then fiancé, I will be able to paint that photograph, exactly how it looks in the photograph, onto a canvas, I'll be able to frame it, and you'll be able to hang it in your home for the rest of your life. So Dylan, just pass this to me. <laughs> Now, I'll show it to you. That is not my wife. My wife didn't want to be involved. That's Ray Hadley. I sent this guy a photograph of me and a photograph of Ray because at the time he didn't want to be seen in the same room as me. So I said, would you put us in a romantic setting? And I know what you're thinking, you creeps, you grubs. You're looking at my hand. I know what you're thinking. You're looking at my hand and then you're looking at his smile. So go from my hand to his smile. And I want to make clear, I did not have sexual relations with Ray Hadley. I have never pleasured this man. And I want to get rid of this shit out of my house once and for all. So in the interest of press freedom, I'm going to conduct an auction right now for the Walkley Foundation. I'm getting rid of the painting. I'm getting rid of the T-shirt. I'm getting rid of the head and shoulders. Has someone got an opening bid of $20? This is all going to the Walkley Foundation. I've got $20 at the front. Has someone $20. got $50 for me? Give me some lights in the room. I've got $50 there. No, no, no. Ben, for this picture... For this, the $1,000 for this. No, it's $50 at the moment. Oh, Let's no. go from there. $50 is the current bid. Has someone got 75 Give me some lights in the room. 200 is up it the How much? Together. $200? $200. $200. What is wrong with you, I you that... dirty bastard? Ben, I, I think that might be You're someone this the AFP. We've got $200 as the bid. $250, sir? $300. $300 is going once. Give me $400. How much? $400 in the back of the room. $400 is the bid. Who's got more? Ben, is that the T-shirt as well? Yeah, it's for the whole lot, right? Oh. We've got $500, $500 in the middle of the room. We've got some creeps here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. This is a rational fear. The head and shoulders. The Pine 1-9. The Ray Hadley getting a you-know-what. $500 going once. $500 going twice. And it's sold for $500. Come, come, come up on stage. We'll take your picture. What was your name, sir? Thanks, Dave. Good on you. Big round of applause for Dave. Yeah. And a big round of applause for, for Ben, ben Fordham. Fordham. Yeah. Now listen, you you got to be fair, Dickham. If you went round your house, that's all you could find. That you. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Mate, we've known each other for a while. You know there's some more stuff there, but... I was going to say, Ray didn't even get the opportunity. No. Someone went through your there... bins. Well, you, you know how big the bong is. I'm not going to drag it in here. I was in an Uber. You've smoked from it at my place. Come on. <laughs> um, what, what have you got in your house that's embarrassing? You don't want the AFP to find Ray. Oh, God. Um, my notes, my, my notes as a journo, uh, mixed shorthand and my shit writing. There's nowhere in the world they could have read this. It's uncrackable. No, they couldn't read it. What about you, Kate? Have you got anything embarrassing in your house you, you wouldn't want the AFP to find? No, but I do want them to come round and find my lost car keys. <laughs> you know, I did a raid clean-up too. And you did a raid clean-up <laughs> yeah, as well? I did. Far I've off. definitely got heaps of docs I should have. Have I should have? Um, uh, no, I totally did a rate clean up. Yeah, I really thought Lewis, about it. Well, I I don't have. I, I want to ch- change it slightly because it's very funny for me me to hear Ben Fordham complaining about his house getting raided. Uh, because Ben Fordham and I actually used to be neighbours. Um, we used to live next door to each other for about seven years when I first moved to what, Sydney. What, you and Ray Hadley as well? Yeah, I broke up from Ray and I hooked up with Lewis. Yeah. And, uh, and Ben Fordham would actually frequently raid my house. And uh, there was one night in particular I recall, I believe it was after the um, TV Week Logie Awards, which I wasn't invited to. And uh, uh, it was about two in the morning and Ben knew where our spare key was. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I still do. Yeah. And I'd gone to bed because uh, I had to work in the morning and at, at one o'clock I heard a herd of elephants raiding my house. It's like, what the fuck is this? Mm. I go downstairs, Ben Fordham and all of the Channel 9 luminaries <laughs> are in my kitchen. My wife was pregnant next door. <laughs> I wasn't going to take him there. <laughs> and I know Ray Hadley was Because there. <laughs> the spare key is just behind the recycling don't bin. Tell, don't tell them where no, it no. is. Near guess, the meter box. I guess it's in the public interest. Um, well, it's very easy. It's to have, your right to know. <laughs> your right to know. It's very easy to have sympathy for journalists, as this is what this night is about. But a current affairs, Alison Petrowski, found out there are two sides to every story. Tonight, dangerous gangs of thugs roaming the streets. Even the military are afraid. We're talking about journalists. One man who has been a regular victim of domestic journalism is Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton. I, mean, I thought I was dead. I was just having a quiet night out with my undisclosed information mm. when I was approached by three people of journalistic appearance, members of the News Corp crew. And did they ask you anything? Yeah. First they asked me about my au pairs visas and I just ignored it thinking they'd move on and bother someone else. But then they asked about the NBM and the Signals Directorate. And suddenly, there's 15 of them jabbing their microphones into my face. Can you describe the microphones? They were very big and very black. Am I allowed to say that? AFP Commissioner Andrew Colvin is in charge of monitoring the country's rise in radical journalists. Look, um... At the AFP, we know there are plenty of good journalists in Australia covering dogs on surfboards, uh, local school fates and uh, and those ushy things from Woolworths, <laughs> generally keeping politics off the front page. It's just there are a few bad apples that force us to apply metadata seizures and intimidating rates. You know, they're still out there, you know, investigating things, rifling through private information, blowing whistles and intimidating defenceless people of good standing. I mean... Who do they think they are? Cops? If homegrown journalism is under control, as you say, 
Why are you retiring in October? You know I can't tell you that, Alison. It's, it's classified. Because if I told you, Mr Potato Head would pull me apart. Will new tougher laws curb the journalism problem? We're hard-pressed to tell. This is Alison Petrowski signing off from Long Bay Jail. Give it up, Alison Petrowski. Alice. So I... I asked Peter Dutton's office what he thought about the potato thing because I thought, you know, he came out at the leadership spill and said, oh, I really want to smile, I want to show my lighter side. So I thought, oh, well, I'll ask him if he's got a sense of humour, right? No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he, he told me that he... So obviously there was the photo that had to be taken down and the potato stuff. But the thing that really offended him was when someone dressed up as him for Halloween. (laughs) That was the one thing that he's like, it's gone too far, I don't like it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for... Kate McClamart! Now, my tale tonight involves a cast of black-hearted dwarves otherwise known as jockeys, and a colourful Sydney racing identity, otherwise known as a criminal. (laughs) Now, as you know, the racetracks of Australia are awash awash with gossip, rumours, schemes, dreams, tales of hard luck, and my personal favourite, skullduggery. (laughs) So back in 1995, the racing world was abuzz with rumours that jockeys who were up to no good, had been caught on police phone taps. Now, my inquiries led me to a court case about one of the biggest drug importations ever. Now, in today's term, about we're talking about half a billion dollars worth of dope being imported. Now, police had been tipped off that a Victor Spink was having a fabulously lucky streak at the races and was making a mozza. Now, for someone who appeared to have no apparent job and had been in the clink in England and back here for robberies, well, he was doing very well for himself. He owned at least 11 properties. Now, the reason Mr Spink was doing so well was, apart from uh, importing massive uh, quantities of drugs, he had another little sideline going on. But mobile phones were a recent phenomenon at the time, and his criminal crew, who included... Donkey, Steve McQueen, Moustache, Roy the Boy, Leo the Liar and Jack the Fibber were heard talking, I have to say with some confidence, about how police did not have the technical know-how to intercept mobile phone conversations. 4,000 hours of conversations later... It appeared from the, uh, um, this is what they were looking into, the drug importation, that they did have a sideline enterprise with some black-hearted dwarves, and there was a jockey, Jim Cassidy, on the phone to Victor Spink, and they were talking about fixing races. Now, when I rang Jim Cassidy, he denied he was involved, and he said he had no comment, but then he couldn't help himself, and he said, who else is on the tape? (laughs) Meanwhile, I had my own problems. Press freedom, or lack thereof, reared its ugly head. The tapes were covered by the Commonwealth Telecommunications Act, 
which meant that they could only be used by police and it was a crime for them to be used for any other purpose. That included a newspaper story. It was a two-year jail term. Now, at the time, my boss at the Sydney Morning Herald was John Alexander, or J.A., as he was known. I can hear laughter already! (laughs) John Alexander was terrifying. You could hear him coming up behind you only by the sounds of his hands rubbing together. (laughs) It was like being stalked by Lady Macbeth. He famously refused to allow a story on homelessness to appear on the front page of the Herald saying, we write stories for people who read newspapers, not who sleep under them. (laughs) On another occasion, he was looking at an airline crash and he remarked, so that's what economy looks like. (laughs) Then there was the time when someone brought their newborn child into the Herald's newsroom and the baby started crying. And J.A. said, where's Herod when you need him? <laughs> but I think one of my favourites was he did, he did sponsor the shark at Taronga Zoo only because the blue-ringed octopus was already taken. <laughs> anyway, back to the threat of press freedom. Our lawyer at the time, a, a most cautious chap waved away my concerns about spending two years in the clink. I was pregnant at the time, and he figured there was no way they would jail me, but they might jail John Alexander. (laughs) So as deadline approached, our lawyer became more and more enthusiastic about the story. Anyway, the story appeared on Friday the 7th of April 1995 and all hell broke loose. Uh, Victor Spink was facing trial at the time, his drug trial, so we could only refer to him as Mr C. But Jim Cassidy lost his mount in the, the Golden Slipper and sadly for him, the horse which was called Flying Spur went on to win. But um, he was also disqualified from racing for three years, and I covered um, that inquiry. And he spat on my back. Actually, it was only on my kneecaps, given his height. (laughs) He spat on my kneecaps and said, you fucking bitch, you ruined my life. You fucking bitch, you ruined my life. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, the day after the story... The uh, New South Wales organised crime squad raided our office, looking for what had become known as the jockey tapes. Now, I'd like to think that they were firm believers in press freedom, but I actually think they didn't really have their heart in it because they called from reception to let me know they were coming. (laughs) So I just quickly moved everything to somebody else's desk. (laughs) Now, Spink did uh, six and a half years for the drug importation and John Alexander, he was ousted in a Fairfax coup. He went to work for the Packers where staff at Channel 9 nicknamed him Lord Farquhar (laughs) after the small villainous tyrant in Shrek. (laughs) And where is J.A. now? He's taking out ads and firing off angry missives about his vile former minions at Fairfax and Nine, who p- 
publish a deluge of stories about Crown Casino, where J.A. is currently chairman of the board. (laughs) Kate McClamont! Thank you, Kate. Mate, can I just just say something about Kate McClamont? There's been no bigger broom in the city of Sydney... Are you saying I'm a witch? ...than the woman... <laughs> Fuck yeah. And people are terrified of you. And I've been lucky enough to work with you on a couple of things, and I love the fact that so many people, some of the biggest and toughest characters in this town, are scared shitless <laughs> of this woman... ..who enjoys... ..who enjoys a good cup of tea... And walking her dog around the park, and I just love what you've done. You've done more than what ICAC has done. You've done more than what the police force has done. You are a credit to our city. We love you. Yes, Kate. Ben, 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 thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Completely over the top. That's um, not. Ben, would you like me to paint a photo of you and Kate? To say with, we have to have Ray in between us. <laughs> I don't want to make him fact, jealous. And in fact, I want Alan Jones sitting on my knee. <laughs> Who Actually, doesn't? Sitting on Ben's knee. <laughs> you know, I remember the day young Ben Fordham came in. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to continue. No. <laughs> I mustn't do Alan Jones unscripted. <laughs> Well, the ABC, as we know, is um, uh, we've spoken about the ABC a little bit tonight. They are Australia's most trusted news gathering organisation, and and uh, the government really don't like them very much. Um, that's why they're continually starving them of funds. Um, I don't know about you, but I've already started to see some changes at the ABC. <laughs> It's a fun Wednesday night on the ABC. Things are not right as B1 joins the Green Army in Banana in Pyjama. And Lee End of Year Sales takes a closer look at pastry on the 4 and 20 report. And then it's Josh Earl on his own for Spick or Speck. And later, Colonel Sanders joins Tony Jones on the panel for Q&And. Followed by an expose on single origin coffee in Ultimo on Local Correspondent. And on ABC2 is ABC1 with a one-hour delay. But right now on ABC Shop 24, Kirsten Drysdale takes us through her favourite dustbusters on the sellout. So this is a fantastic vacuum cleaner. It's one of the best in the range. This is so depressing. That's not going to be enough, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Ray Martin! Thank you, mate. It's true, I used to be Ray Martin. <laughs> I was in Queensland last year, true story, doing a story outside the Southport Police Station. And a bloke came along, short shorts, thongs, huge beer gut and a melanoma suntan. My audience totally. Um, <laughs> for the sake of propriety, I won't repeat the language. Jesus, he said, pointing at me. Jesus, I thought you was fucking dead. <laughs> I lied, I had to repeat the language. Anyway, dead or alive, I want to take you back to 1977, because I can. There are a few who also can go back to 77, I suspect. 
I was ABC's North American correspondent for 10 years through the decade of the 70s. Um, sometimes it was a turbulent place and sometimes even revolutionary. Gough Whitlam had come and gone in Australia, as you remember. He changed the Australian landscape and made it a better place. Um, if you worked in Washington, it was no secret that they hated Gough. They hated Whitlam and the Whitlam government. In the aftermath of Gough's dismissal, as people here might remember, Australia was amok with uh, conspiracy theories about uh, how Nixon and Kissinger and the Americans had got rid of Gough, the CIA had got rid of Gough, um, as they did the democratically elected uh, government in Chile of Allende. Now, I don't believe in conspiracies. I've learned over 50-plus years of covering politics. It's usually just a monumental cock-up. <laughs> At least I didn't believe until I, in 1977 I met a weird dude named James Jesus Angleton. Now he was the number two in the CIA, but he was the head of counterintelligence, maybe the most powerful, and probably the, the, one of the most feared intelligence characters in the world, certainly in the Western world. Um, he was the original Cold War warrior. He'd spent a lifetime chasing moles and, uh, and, and, and double agents in what he called that, that wild world of mirrors, which he called espionage. Eventually the New York Times exposed him uh, for all kinds of domestic bastardry in America, and including spying on ordinary Americans, which of course is illegal, as it is illegal in Australia, <laughs> despite the uh, Azigo and despite a few other agencies recently with our friend at the Australian. Anyway, the Americans sacked him back in 1975, and a couple of years later he agreed to do an interview with me for Four Corners. The interview that never was... And I'll come to that. Anglet was 60 at the time. <clears throat> he was a caricature of, a, of, of an ageing spook. He was tall and bony and, and, and bent over and wearing a, a long black trench coat. He had a painful ulcer. I offered him some coffee and he said, no, he had an ulcer. And we had to keep sending out one of our ABC secretaries to get some milk um, to uh, hose down his ulcer. Um, the legendary camera, David Brill, was with me at the time. He was rolling his eyes all through this interview we did on film um, at what we were hearing. Angleton called the, the Labor government, and especially his, the Attorney General Lionel Murphy, a bunch of political cowboys and communist fellow travellers in the pockets of Moscow or Peking or both. He said that they had acted recklessly and arrogantly in Murphy's raid on the Asia headquarters in early 1973, as if the federal government, he said, was in charge of Asia. <laughs> when I suggested that they actually were... Um, Anglin scoffed and said, look, uh, governments come and go. It's the continuity of the intelligence service that matters if you're going to save the world, obviously from commies. He went on and on about how Washington had been forced to cut these special intelligence ties with, uh, uh, from time to time uh, with Canberra uh, until Canberra could be trusted again, he said. The last straw was when Whitlam had threatened to tell all of us Australians about Pine Gap, the spy base outside of Alice Springs. Much, much more. Of course, Angleton denied the Americans had had anything to do with Goff's highly controversial dismissal. The professional spy's modus operandi always is to lie and to distort the truth, so we'll never know. The next week, Angleton uh, invited our camera, David and myself, down to his place in, in Langley in Virginia, just down the road from the CIA headquarters, where we discovered something even more weird amongst this, this, this bloke's life. Um, he, he cultivated, for example, he showed us Brazilian black... Orchids. I didn't realise they were black orchids, but he had only rare and precious, he told us, um, and processed his own 
uh, photos, strictly black and white. There was no colour in his photographs. It was all done with, this, uh, with these, uh, these antique Leica cameras or vintage Leica cameras that he had. The home was seriously weird and, and quite sinister. All the curtains were drawn tightly as we wandered around the house that day in the middle of the day. Um, anyway, I was very excited about this scoop that I had for Four Corners and I sent it back to Sydney. Now, I've done over 10,000 interviews or so as Ray Martin. And James Jesus Angleton was far and away the most extraordinary and and the scariest of the lot, given who he was. But Four Corners never ran the interview. Now, you have to remember back in the 1970s, if if you're old enough to remember, um, communications were a bit tricky, especially if you're living in New York. Um, Mostly telex messages, like long telegrams, and occasionally an expensive phone call that you can make overseas. As a New York correspondent, I was also off covering everything from um, politics to sport and religion, so I just went and did other things. When I finally checked with the executive producer, who was an acting bloke at the time, he apologised and he said, oh, we sought a comment from Goff and from Lionel, um, who both went off their skulls at having been called communists and cowboys, which is understandable. And because one was a high court justice by this stage and the other a QC, namely Goff, our legal advice, quote-unquote, was not to run the story. I pointed out that ABC Radio had run a much shorter version the day after Four Corners on a program called Foreign Correspondence Report um, without any problems, and that every newspaper from the communist newspaper, The Tribune, and Laurie Oakes and, uh, and, and, and Brian Tui in Canberra all jumped on the story at the end. And he said, oh, sorry, mate, the story's taken off a bit, I admit, but that was our last program for the year, so we can't do much about it. A few years later, Channel 7 did a, a series about ASIO's clandestine operations in Australia. The reporter was Bruce Stannard and the, the producer was a guy named Richard Hall. He used to work for Goff in the days that Goff was PM. Uh, they tried to buy my Angleton interview from the ABC. Amazingly, archives couldn't find the interview. <laughs> now, ABC archives, I'm sure there are people here from the ABC, uh, apart from Lewis, um, are normally immaculate. They have offcuts from interviews that were done back in 1956 when television first began in Australia. Wendy Borches, who was, was the ABC archi- archivist for years, uh, was simply the best. And she told me later it was one of, the, of life's great mysteries what had happened, how six rolls of film and sound tapes just went missing. They evaporated from the bowels of the ABC, a bit like a silent fart. <laughs> Never to be found again. Now, a quick footnote to this story. The legendary Tim Bowden, when he did a TV special and wrote a book on 50 years of the ABC, Bowden discovered something just as intriguing. All, get this, all of the ABC news footage, they had three cameras shot on the steps of the old Parliament House on the 11th of the 11th, 1975, when Gough made his, you know, you may say, God save the Queen, but nothing will save the Governor-General, that famous speech, all disappeared from the ABC film library in Canberra. Uh, Tim reported this. All that film record disappeared mysteriously from the ABC News Library and also from Channel 9 and Channel 7. That historic moment. All gone. The, what we saw when Goff died a few years back was Norman Gunston's footage. <laughs> when, so com- comedy wins again. So when Norman had... Uh, Except they, all the stuff we saw, they cut out Norman and they cut all the, you know, Mick Marks on his face there, um, edited out. Now, why someone would decide to erase that moment in Australian history? Who took the film? We don't know. Was it some crazy spook or was it an organised intelligence conspiracy? Personally, I think it had to be Norman Gunston. 
or Tom Gleeson because he's behind every bloody thing. Ray Martin. Thank you so much, Ray. That was really great. We're, um, we're almost uh, at the end of the show. Just um, We've got uh, Lewis to go. And just a reminder that you can um, uh, easily uh, win a wonderful signed poster. Look at this. Look at All these. right. Those. All right. Shut it down. Shut what? it down. What? What? Shut what? it down. That's enough. What? That's enough. I've had enough now. That's over now. What, what do you mean? What's over? Who are you? Okay, are listen, you listen. This little show yeah. has breached the 2000 and whatever Communications Act. Uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, what? you do realise you made bad facts about the government. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's the most, that's the worst crime you could do before well, jaywalking. Well, we can actually do, we can, we can actually say facts if they're already public. That's the thing. Oh, no, you can't. Especially... If it's about on water matters. Well, this is not an this is not an on water matter. This oh, it's is, not, is it? No. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. Now it is. All right. All right. All right. So, okay. All right. Now listen, listen. Right. You can all like uh, go to jail immediately for sixty years each, or you can read this little script for the boss. That's what. It, so this this shows like Q and A, right? Q and A. Yeah, kind of like Q and A on crack, I guess. <laughs> Have you seen Q&A recently? It's already on crack. So, anyway, you bloody lefties. Listen, okay. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to jail or are you going to read this out? You're going to read this out. Yeah, read these out. Read these out. out. We'll read it. And then when I point to you, you you start. That's how it's going to work, all right? Here you go. Handing these out. Ray's got one. Ray's got one. You've got one there. I've just found one off the back of a truck. Listen. We're going to do this together and we're going to make it official. All right, what's your... What are you... Ho, like Hobbit man? Hobbit, dude. Play the song, please. <laughs> and go. All right, good evening and uh, welcome to Obviously Planted Questions and government-approved A's. I'm socialist, <laughs> ABC journalist and Chinese turncoat Tony Jones. <laughs> Tonight's panel is a diverse range of government critics hand-selected by the Department of Home Affairs, to discuss the following question. Is Peter Dutton doing a terrific job as Home Affairs Minister, or do we need a serious re-education? Let's start with the 2019's hottest Radio Hunk Award loser, (laughs) Ben Fordham. Don't laugh so loud, Alice. Tony, thank you. Uh, Look, at the risk of going to jail, which is always something I'm aware of, It is my opinion uh, that Peter Dutton is Australia's greatest Home Affairs Minister we've ever had. Let's hear it for Peter Dutton, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get locked up. Don't get locked up. We've got a police officer here. Come on. Very, very interesting, uh, Ben. Um, What about a critical appraisal from Australia's most fair and balanced news source, the Australian's Alice Workman? Uh, Well, at the risk of being defamatory and... It's always a risk. (laughs) In my opinion, Peter Dutton has been the only Home Affairs Minister. Yes. All right, I'll take that as a comment, a fair comment. (laughs) Kate, uh, what about the public's perception of Peter Dutton? Are they misguided? Tony, what those losers on Twitter who say that the Minister of Home Affairs looks like a potato, they don't understand is that... He may be a potato, but those potatoes have a lot of eyes. (laughs) 
And those eyes are watching you. Okay, Lewis, as an anemic ABC employee, <laughs> what's your take on this? Uh, my take is the one that keeps me employed, Tony, so that I can afford to feed my feeble family all the soy lattes their weak bones need. <laughs> and, and, and what's that? What are you gonna... Peter Dutton is very handsome, manly, yet has soft and kind eyes <laughs> that make you melt when you catch their gaze. His hair is thick, like a young Ray Martin's. <laughs> he is benevolent, yet firm, like a hammer. A hammer for justice and fairness. He is building a safer, cleaner, brighter Australia. An Australia that makes you go, wow! Australia is so safe and clean and bright. Loving Peter Dutton is like an Australian journalist interviewing Steve Bannon. You know it's wrong, but you just can't help yourself. <laughs> well said, Lewis and Dan. Now you promised not to mention the wig. How come you say you name two different? I say your name two different ways, Dan. Is it um, Illich or Illich? It's very confusing. How do we know if you're a citizen if you can't say your name correctly? <laughs> And did you bring your passport to tonight's show? No, but I will present to Redfin Police Station right after the show. All right, taking questions from the audience. Yes? Okay. All right, listen. Okay, this is a question for the panel. <laughs> Journalists and whistleblowers in Australia are currently on trial or being investigated for revealing war crimes and government corruption. Surely there must be a time when journalists must be free to hold the government's feet to the fire without fear of persecution. Yes, yes of course. course. When, when Labor is in power. power. Ha, ha, ha. That, that will, will never happen. happen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You may all continue your funny little skits. And, of course, Peter Dutton does actually like to laugh. Usually at Pacific Islands drowning under rising sea levels. But, uh, Mr Illich, I will mention that you and your foreign family should probably register at Red, uh, Redfern Police Station as soon as the show um, finishes. And, uh, Lewis, uh, you're currently 49 metres from a public school, mate, so just scooch that way a little bit. That's, That's actually That's fair That's enough. Good. Thank if you, you come closer to the mic... Because it's, it's time for Lewis Hover. There you go. Hey, uh... My God, can we give it up for all of the absolute legends, journalistic legends that are here tonight? And now me. <laughs> uh, you don't know who I am. It's, it's just true. Do you? Oh, you do. There's one person here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, what, let's not get into who. Let's not turn into an I am Spartacus situation. This could ripple. There are three of you. It doesn't matter. Big shouts to everyone. Whatever. The world is a mess this week. It turns out the AFP raids on our ABC were also linked to another secretive government agency. After years of will they, won't they, I think it's nice our unaccountable agencies have finally got together. They Ross and Rachel for a while, but... Now they're together and they're suppressing free speech, which I think is cute. This week also saw two mass shootings in the US. It was awful. Climate change saw Greenland lose 2.5 billion litres of ice in a single day. That is enough water to cover all of Florida in four inches of water. And the real tragedy, Florida is fine. 
The stock market tanked thanks to the trade war between US and China. Now, for me, the benefit of having no assets is that in the upcoming financial apocalypse, I have nothing to lose. Uh, but if you do, I'm sorry you're about to get less rich. The UK is now being run, run, by Boris Johnson. The human personification of the word whoopsie. The whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. But I reckon if you asked anyone over 50 how they were feeling this week, they'd say they felt better than they've felt in years. Kind of like how they felt when they bought their third investment property. And that, because in all this madness, there's been one little beacon of boomer light. A warm safety blanket to wrap yourselves in. One utopic island in a fraught ocean of troubles. The return of sea change. Yes. Yes, it isn't just Victoria that's legalised assisted dying. Now... Now the entire country can lay back and slowly watch the life drain from our eyes as the biggest ABC drama of the late 90s has been directly into our homes like wistful memory Xanax. For older Australians, the return of sea change is like getting back your franking credits. You didn't need it, but I bet it's nice. I should say quickly for anyone here under 30, sea change was round the twist for adults. I never saw sea change myself, uh, but I got the gist from hearing my parents talk about it. Uh, it's about a high-flying lawyer who leaves the city to move to the coast and apparently Diver Dan, quite the dish, <laughs> according to my mother. Yes, yeah, Sigrid Thornton and the gang from Pearl Bay are back on your TV. It's a great day for the generation who still say Channel 2. <laughs> <laughs> There's a man in the third row Just who gave you the gave finger. Me the little finger. <laughs> If you went to his Facebook page, he's probably friends with the ABC. Thank you, mate. Thank it's you. it's just the ABC, his family, and that's it. Yeah. He doesn't know how to use Facebook. He doesn't do Facebook, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason. Oh, the ABC's doing its absolute best to give the boomers what they want, aren't they? They brought back Countdown for New Year's Eve. You loved that, didn't you? Countdown. They keep bringing back Spicks and Specks because you think Adam Hills is nice. But they were gateway drugs. Nothing tickles an old man's walnut wallet like the ageless visage of Sigrid Thornton. And here's the kicker. The auntie's most valuable asset after Barry Cassidy's frown lines isn't even on the ABC anymore. While the AFP were raiding us for the Afghan files, Channel 9 was rummaging around and stealing sea change. It's one of the only shows on Australian TV with no known sexual predators. I mean, thank God we let Channel 7 take Dr. Blake mysteries. Good luck to them. But sea change selling out, that hurts. There's nothing worse than seeing something leave the integrity of the ABC to chase meaningless cash. <laughs> Isn't that right, Ray Martin? Don't worry, Ray. Four Corners really went downhill after you left. 
<laughs> no, I'm glad Sea Change is back. Didn't see it the first time, won't watch it the second, but I'm glad boomers have something that'll keep them off the streets and away from cafes I like. <laughs> now, you can spend less time taking blurry photos of your food with your iPad. <laughs> And you can spend more time curled up on the couch hiding from the world's problems under the weighted blanket of collective nostalgia. (laughs) Sea change represents a simpler time. The idealism of the 90s, when a middle-aged woman could be the hero of her own TV show. A time when a regional town could contain William McGuinness and David Wenham in their prime and not one person on ice. So come on, let's do this together. Let's close our eyes and forget about the problems of the world by diving back into the year that Sea Change landed on TV. Do it, close your eyes. Let the events of 1998 soothe you. Because in 1998, 9-11 hadn't happened yet. If you actually wanted a sea change, you could pack up walk onto a plane with 15 laptop batteries in your carry-on. You could use a real knife to eat your airplane food. And as you leave, you could pop your head into the pilot to say thanks. In 1998, Fox Studios opened. And Baby One More Time was released by a young schoolgirl named Britney Spears. Bright futures for them both. Back in 1998, people actually watched the ABC. Now everyone who watches the ABC is here. The entire audience of the national broadcaster. It fits in one room. Back then, we didn't even know that climate change existed. Therefore, it didn't. And the average house price in Sydney was $230,000. Now, of course, a unit will cost you a million and it'll collapse before you move in. Mmm, 1998. Are you loving it? In 2019, you're trying to figure out how to stop the world from being uninhabitable for your children. Back then, you were just trying to figure out a crazy new thing called the GST. (laughs) And look, it's not wrong to keep going back to things that made you feel good in the past. Everyone does it. Right now, millennials are flocking to see a shot-for-shot remake of The Lion King. I'm not, because I don't want to have to confront Mufasa's death all over again. (laughs) I've just gotten over it. But Sea Change confronts nothing. No one dies in Sea Change. Do they? I didn't watch it. No one, no one died. All I know is Diver Dan was a dish. That's it. So why am I talking about sea change? Well, just look up at this panel. Tonight we've talked about so many awful things, scary things. Isn't it nice to sometimes just bury your head in the sand of Pearl Bay? To nuzzle into the crook of Sigrid Thornton's swan-like neck? Be honest, it's nice to have your head in there. To run away from your problems. Just like Sigrid Thornton did in the hit TV series Sea Change. But what happened to Sigrid? Well, she got a bunch of new problems, didn't you, Chi? She fell in love with Diver Dan, then his best friend, William McGuinness, still grieving from the death of his wife. He was unable to give her what she wanted. Love. I haven't seen it, but I've read the Wikipedia. (laughs) Old Australians, you can't see change away the problems of the world. You can't for our sake. Because if boomers bury themselves under the nostalgia blanket, what will millennials do when we inherit the smouldering husk of earth you left us? What will be our nostalgia blanket? A gritty reboot of Gogglebox where people watch people watching us eat the last of our rations of food? 
With everything going wrong, of course it's tempting to stay hidden under the look-back blanket. I'd be lying if I didn't find my own comfort in the immovable rock that is Sigrid Thornton's face. As if it were the only stable thing in the world. Her moral standard as rigid as her brow. But the truth is that soon reality will come to you and the residents of Pearl Bay. The stock market crash will ruin the retirees' lives. The only non-white character on the show will deal with some racist shit that our Prime Minister won't directly have encouraged, but, you know, he did. (laughs) And regardless of if you've considered a real sea change yourself, thanks to global warming, the sea is coming to your city. (laughs) So thank you for coming out to listen to this tonight, real things, looking them right in the face, because when we're all underwater, not even Diver Dan can save you. (laughs) Although, if he did, I bet he'd look like a real dish. Thank you. That's it for Rational Fear. Please thank Kate McClymont, Ray Martin, Ben Fordham, Alice Workman, Lewis Hubbard, DJ Dylan Bain, Greta Lee Jackson, who played a fantastic cup. Um, Rational Fear was hosted and written by me, Dan Illich, with additional writing by Gillian David, Dave Bluestein, James Carley, Kate Holdsworth. Many special thanks to Nathan Turnbull and Moira at Giant Wharf, NEAA, The Walkers, Sleeping Giant, The University's Burnley Show. Special thanks to Get Up, who promoted this show to their, to their members. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.